as we turn now um, to the gospel according to Jonah. Um, the gospel according to Jonah. Um, we began looking at Jonah last week. We saw that Jonah is a prophet, and he is a prophet during the reign of Jeroboam II. Jeroboam II was a bad king. He was a bad dude. And that's an important piece to understand um, as we understand uh, this Old Testament book. Um, God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh, which is basically modern-day Mosul in Iraq. Um, If that conjures up anything, um, it ought to conjure up a little bit of tentativeness uh, and understanding of why Jonah didn't want to go there. Um, Mosul being the, uh, up until recently, the headquarters for ISIS. Um, And Jonah had, as we looked at last week, uh, much fear and also hatred for the people of Nineveh. And so he refused God's command. Um, that's not a good idea to go to Nineveh. And so instead, I'm going to run in the opposite direction. I'm going to get on a boat and go to the land known as Tarshish. Um, and we, we ended up seeing that Jonah was asleep in the bottom of that boat um, and was being called on by the sailors in that boat because a storm was brewing. And that's where we pick up the story in Jonah chapter 1, starting at verse 7. And they, the sailors in the boat with Jonah, said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he, Jonah, said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up, hurl me into the sea, then the sea will be quiet will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. 
This is the word of the Lord. Or a mermaid. Uh, Pete Pete Townsend of the rock band The Who fame uh, wrote these words. He wrote, I woke up in a Soho doorway. A policeman knew my name. He said, you can go sleep at home tonight if you can get up and walk away. I staggered back to the underground and a breeze blew back my hair. I remember throwing punches around and preaching from my chair, and then he enters into the chorus. You old rock and rollers will have to help me out with this one. Um, Well, who are you? I really want to know. Tell me, who are you? Uh, It's uh, it's actually a reflection of a bad night for Pete Townsend when he got drunk and was on drugs with some of his friends from the band The Sex Pistols and uh, was in Soho and uh, was woken up by a police officer because he was passed out cold. And that night was just the beginning. He went on and got in fights and was yelling at people and pontificating in his drunken stupor. And he woke up in the next morning and began to write these words because he knew that he wasn't himself. What was wrong? with him. What, why did I do that? It was actually a, a pretty contemplative moment for Pete Townsend. It's like, who are you? I don't even know myself anymore. Who are you? We get the same sort of wrestling, a wrestling of identity here with Jonah. Sailors want to know who he is. Um, by the way, sorry about leaving the Who song stuck in your head for the rest of the day now, but uh, the sailors want to know who he is. The, the questions in verse 8, what's your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? Of what people are you? Who are you? Who are you in our boat? Questions of identity come to Jonah, and those questions wake him up, really, to what he's doing. It would be like Uh, If I was asked what I do for a living, and I was in a place that wasn't becoming of a pastor, right? If I was, like, gambling all my wages at the racetrack, right? It's like, hey, what do you do? I'm a pastor. Really? Really? It, it, It doesn't fit. The, the, the behavior doesn't fit with who he is, and that's what's happening with Jonah. His behavior is not fitting with who he is. He answers him, honestly, I'm a Hebrew. I am a Yah- Yahweh worshiper, and that had to wake him up. And so I'm on a, tri- a ship trying to run away from Yahweh, right? Certainly the sailors would have thought, really? Jonah's identity doesn't match up with his actions. Does yours? Does mine? Um, specifically, as a follower of Christ, if you are, if you call yourself a Christian, Christian, your identity is fundamentally as a son or a daughter in the family of God. That's who you are. That is your identity bought for you by Christ. But do you act like it? Do I act like it? Or are there inconsistencies that that identity um, doesn't mesh with in the way that you act? Of course the answer is, of course there is inconsistencies. None of us 
Um, none of us are perfect in any way. Um, but, but are there inconsistencies maybe morally, maybe in your faithlessness, in your worship? Maybe you, you work too much. Maybe you worship idols. And maybe you're just running away. Now, I've got to be careful because some of us, when asked these questions about inconsistencies in our life, immediately go to how we look, our appearance, whether or not we've got it together, right? or whether we look like we've got it together. And that's really not at all what's played. I need to be careful to press into that. And in fact, that's actually the opposite of where we need to go with the question of whether or not we act like who we are in Christ. If, if your identity, brothers and sisters, is wrapped up in outward appearances in any way, then you're missing the point. <laughs> you're missing the point. Early in my faith walk, I, I sort of thought that I had to, you know, Jesus converted me. I had to become like this squeaky clean person. Like I had to become like this, this image of of the American evangelical Christian or something. And I remember, though, early in those days, studying the book of Galatians, and it was instrumental to my understanding of the true gospel. In chapter 2, Paul talks about being saved by grace, by being rescued, by being rescued, that, we, that I needed rescuing. It wasn't about being obedient to the law. And he has, Paul has planted churches in this region of Galatia. Um, and all the people have been growing in that gospel of grace, that they are saved not according to what they do, but by the, the grace of God alone. And yet now he is hearing that they're going back to following the law as a means of justifying themselves. And he says in chapter 2, verse 14, he says, Why are you now out of step with the truth of the gospel? You're not walking in step with what what you believe. You are an adopted son and daughter. You are now walking away from the truth of the gospel. Back to the law. In other words, your behavior is not in line with the truth of your salvation, the truth of the gospel. And that's what ought to mark us. That's what ought to be noticeable to us, not your color coordination of your outfits or how much um, of a grown-up you can make yourself look like or um, your Christian resume. I just want to be careful to say that. That's not what we're talking about here. Really, it's more about how humble you are and how grateful you are. Those are the things that ought to be seen by the world as you walk in line with who you are as a son or a daughter, that you worship Yahweh who saved you, that you're obedient, yes, yes, but as a response to the fact that you're a son and daughter, not as a means to become a son and a daughter. What matters, in other words, is what's happening in your heart. And that's where Jonah falls off the rails. That's where we see Jonah totally going off the rails, right? He is in full rebellion in his pride and in his self-centeredness. He is out of step with who he is as a Hebrew Yahweh worshiper. And he is rejecting his father. He is rejecting his family. He is running away from home. He is the Old Testament prodigal son. Jonah is the Old Testament prodigal son. 
Um, I know something about prodigals, as I was one as well. After my parents' divorce, um, my, uh, I began to rebel really heavily, especially against my mom, who was the, the nearest parent. And I remember saying to her one day, um, I, I'm not going to do what you say to do because I'm bigger than you are. And saying it like that. Now, if I was younger, she would have tanned my hand. But I, I, didn't, I didn't care. Because I was bigger. Well, what's happening with Jonah is the opposite. I, I, he thinks that he's bigger than, than, than God. His pride and his self-centeredness is the same. But then God sends a storm to wake him up to the truth about who's really in charge, right? Um, Tim Keller is, is great. In, great image. He calls this God's intervention. As if Jonah is like this alcoholic son and God is sending a fleet of people in there to say, hey, guess what? This ain't going any further. He sends a storm as an intervention into Jonah's life to wake him up from his out-of-stepness. Now, I've got to be careful here, too. Some of y'all are in serious storms right now. Um, and I, I want to be careful to tell you that not every storm is sent by God as an intervention into your sin. Okay? It is the height of self-righteousness for these TV preachers to say that God sent some hurricane in to kill a bunch of people because they're the height of immorality. Give me a break. God is not the author of evil and death. He is the redeemer of death. And to say that is just flat-out misrepresentation of God. Is he the judge? Yes. But he doesn't judge to kill people in their sin. That's not the God we serve. We have to be careful about that. It's so wrong to think sometimes that the storms that we're going through are the function of God's discipline. They may be, but oftentimes they're not. The stuff that Christine Warner is going through right now, she was hit by a car on the side of the roads in critical condition, dear friend of us, and, uh, and a pillar in this faith community to think that somehow that came about because God wanted to wake her up to something, please. And that's not the case for you oftentimes. But it is sometimes the case that God uses storms to discipline us, okay? We have to hold those two things together. Sometimes he uses hurricanes and conflicts and job losses and seasons of futility or, or struggles with health or lack, those kind of storms, as an intervention to wake us up to who we really are in Christ or to give us a new identity in Christ, as the case may be with you. And that's what's happening here with Jonah. And his response is very telling. And that's where I want to focus on is how does Jonah respond to the intervention? Um, he does one thing really well and two things really wrong. And we can learn from both of those things. The one thing that he, I'm going to start with the good news. Uh, I hope we can learn from this and grow in it. Um, the, the, the good news, the one thing he does right is that Jonah admits his guilt. Yeah, it's my fault, right? 
we read this and we're like, okay, thank you, Jonah, for coming clean. You know, you're the one who's doing this. He admits his guilt. He com- this comes with the realization that he is not the creator, that he is actually the creature here. We're not bigger than God, right? In fact, God could squash us if he wanted to at any time. Um, When I was rebelling against my mom, you know what my mom did? She got my football coach involved. Suddenly, I was not bigger than everyone else in the room. And what my football coach, I remember him telling me, it was really good. It was really good. He was like, you have to understand, first of all, that, that you're not in charge and that I will show you, if need be, that you're not in charge. And second of all, that you're hurting your mother. And it was in that that I was suddenly thinking, oh, yeah, you know, <laughs> I'm being a little jerk. And so I, I confessed my guilt as well. And that's kind of the thing that's happening to Jonah. He's realizing that he's the creature um, and that God is, is the, the creator of all things. It, it, in verse 9, this is this almost comical scene where um, he says, yeah, I'm a worshiper of Yahweh, of Yahweh who what? Made the sea and the dry land. Now, can you picture the scene? You've got to put yourself there. Who made the sea and the dry land. And Jonah's holding on to the mast of the ship. And the waves are rolling over him. And he's like, yeah, the one who made the sea. You know, that's, that's the one I'm disobeying right now. Jonah knows his place. And he admits his guilt. That's a good step. Just like, just like an intervention. That's the step that we want to see in an intervention. If you've ever been a part of one, right? Of an alcoholic. Admit the truth. What do they say in Alcoholics Anonymous? The first thing you do is admit you're powerless, right? And you got to go in front of all the people and say, hi, I'm Jay, and I'm an alcoholic. But that's the first step, and it's a good step, and that's what Jonah is doing. It's a good thing. We can learn from that. Some of us need to speak it and to say how we're rebelling against God. Good start for Jonah, um, but that's where he goes bad. Two things that he doesn't do well. Now, the first thing is this may seem natural and instinctive, but both he and the sailors chiefly have one thing in mind in their admission of guilt. You know what that one thing is? Getting the storm to stop. Getting out of their circumstances. They are chiefly concerned with who? Themselves. Jonah is not concerned that he may have hurt his father in heaven. He's not concerned. All he's concerned is getting the storm to stop. And isn't that somehow, sometimes how our prayers are, right? I don't care what you do, just make it stop, right? That's my form of obedience. It's not to please the Father. It's not actually an obedience at all. It's just to get the circumstances and the result that we want out of it. Um, Jonah's not really concerned about others. He's just concerned still about himself. Um, early in our marriage, Jen and I um, listened to a, uh, a tape. I don't have to explain to you all what a tape is. We did that last week. Um, a tape of um, from World Harvest that taught, was a tape on marriage. And um, one of the, the, 
the, the greatest thing we learned as a marriage was through that tape. Um, they were talking about conflict and how to do conflict. And um, the, the, the presenter, I can't remember who, who the guy was, but he said, you know, there's a big difference between asking for forgiveness and just saying you're wrong and you're really sorry. Asking for forgiveness is essentially saying, will you let me off the hook in this discomfort in this of, of the way I feel right now? Like, I know I did something wrong with you, but if you'll just forgive me, that would make me feel a lot better. Versus just saying, no, I hurt you, and I'm wrong, and I'm sorry, and just standing up in the midst of your own fault. That's essentially what Jonah and the sailors are doing. They're saying, just forgive me, just forgive me so this storm will stop, instead of saying, oh, I actually offended you. It's the first thing Jonah and the sailors do wrong. The second thing, and this also seems right on the face of it, is Jonah says, pick me up and throw me into the sea. What are we supposed to do? Oh, no, what are we supposed to do? Just pick me up and throw me into the sea. That will cure all things. You know, I I thought, you know, maybe they should have lowered him down and dipped him into the water because they're really hesitant to say, is that going to work? Um, but they, they don't. They just toss them into the sea, right? And, and that seems right to us. But actually, Jonah is still not obeying God, is he? It, it may have been enough to admit his guilt, but it wasn't enough to get him to do what he really ought to have done. What should Jonah have done? Should he have just said, okay, just punish me, kill me, throw me? Or should he have said, you know what, sailors, here's what you do. Turn the boat towards Nineveh. Jonah would have rather have died than to have obeyed. He's still rebellion against God. Now, to be fair, what's going on here is that Jonah is wrapped up in this Jewish idea of purification, that with something is bad or something is wrong, you, you put it outside. This, is, this was deep in a deep-seated belief in the temple system in, in Jerusalem, is that everything within the context of the temple had to be pure and right, just how God designed it, right? That was the place of holiness and of beauty and whatever. And then if, if it wasn't there, then you had to be outside. The walls were this, like, this is the way it's supposed to be. Everything out there is the way it's not supposed to be. And so what would happen, especially, and this is, this is really illustrated mostly on the Day of Atonement of Yom Kippur, is that they would get two goats, and they would send one of them out as the, the, the dirty scapegoat, and the other one would be holy and blameless. Now, scholars will tell you that they think that's exactly what Jonah is thinking as he's on the boat here. That he is thinking about atoning for his sin and that he is the scapegoat. He is the one that's being sent out. The, the casting of lots, that's how the priests did it. Is they would cast lots between these two goats and the one that the lot fell on, just like here, um, would be cast out into the wilderness, thrown away as worthless. So scholars believe that's actually what's going through Jonah's mind. And so we can understand where Jonah might, might say, 
oh, yeah, well, I'm the scapegoat here. Just throw me overboard. Now it's time um, to, to be done with me. Because of my guilt, cast me into the wilderness. We can understand that. We do this too, don't we? In the face of the storms of life. Isn't that how we work? It's like, oh, if something happens and something goes wrong, we often say, what did I do wrong? Uh, this is based off of, of something I did, so I just need, God's just punishing me for this. This is what's, what's happening. And this is how our superstitions work, don't they? It's like, well, if I do this thing, then I'll get this result. Well, if I do this thing, then I'm going to get this result. That's exactly what Jonah is thinking. It's like, I did this thing, and so the result is that I get to die. Um, it's superstitious in a lot of ways. And, and it's in a lot of ways exactly how the pagan soldiers here operate and how the pagan world operates all around us. Um, Randy Choate, the former uh, relief pitcher for the Cardinals, he, he would not, when he would go out on the field, he would not pick up a baseball if it was on dirt. Because he felt like if he picked up the baseball, then he would not, uh, on dirt, then he would throw the ball into the dirt all the time. That he wouldn't, wouldn't able, it was this sort of the superstition. All right? And so he'd have to have, if the ball was there laying on the dirt, he'd have to have a teammate come over and pick it up for him and give it to him. That's how, the, that's how our minds work, is that like this, oh, this totally, uh, this storm is coming because I did something bad, so I just got to take my lunch and take my punishment. And if, if that's the case, then I got to die. And that's what's happening here with Jonah. And it shows a complete lack of understanding of who God is and what his desires are for his sons and daughters. God doesn't want to make him dead. God wants to make him holy. And that's what so much of this story of Jonah is about. Jonah keeps saying, just kill me. And God says, I've got better plans for, your de- de- for you than dying. I want to make you holy. Why? Because you're my son. The storm is there not to kill you, to punish you like I'm a mean ogre. It's there to make you holy and to make you beautiful. Like a father disciplines his son. We will see this over and over. Tell me, looking at Jonah through that lens, if you don't see Jonah as being a spoiled little bratty kid this whole book. He is stomping around. I don't want to do it this way. The whole book. And God keeps doing what over and over again? He's his father. Do you do right to be this angry? He'll say that later. Why are you running away? This is the prodigal father that continues to pursue his son even in the midst of his rebellion. The storm is there to make him into the child he could be. He's not a judge. He's not an ogre that just wants to punish him. He's a father. Um, right before I preached this, I got this note from Edie. Um, I had no idea. I was like, oh, what's this one going to be? This is going to be exciting. I asked her permission if I could share this. This includes 2J from Edie. I love my family. Dear Jay, I have a wonderful family. They come about me and love me with all their heart, and they rescue me 
from scary things. Jonah is a part of the family of God who is there to rescue him from scary things like himself and his own feeling that he can be a good God. And instead, he's saying, come with me. He doesn't want to kill Jonah. He wants to make Jonah holy. So enter the big fish. If, if, if God just wanted to kill Jonah or just punish him, I mean, glug, 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 there he goes. End of story, right? But that's not our God. Our God sends the fish as a means to make Jonah holy. Holiness by grace. Y'all know that book, Holiness by Grace? You should get it. It's a book by Brian Chappell, our former seminary president um, at our seminary. It's called Holiness by Grace, and his basic premise is that... Um, that God is a good father, and by grace, he makes us holy, which seems like an oxymoron, doesn't it? By grace, he makes us holy, but he brings up the, the, the way that he parented his kids. I'm still trying to wrap my head around this one, so don't think I'm a very good, good at this as a dad. But he, generally speaking, what he said to his kids, when his kids would rebel and do their own things, instead of saying, you can't do that, or you shouldn't do that, or I'm taking this away from you, or giving them some sort of incentive, like, do this and you will get this sort of thing. Instead of doing that, he would say, you're my son. You're my daughter. Do you know what that means? Do you know how much I cherish you and love you and would do anything for you? Therefore, obey. Did that actually work for him? He says it did. Holiness by grace. You are my son. You are my daughter. Therefore, in humility and gratitude, obey. Because I love you. Jonah should have known this. The scapegoat was just that. It was a goat. It wasn't him. It was a substitute for his sin. See, they missed the meaning. They just thought, well, that's me. I'm going to be the scapegoat. No, the goat was the substitute for your sin, just as, brothers and sisters, Jesus was the substitute and the ultimate scapegoat for us. He sent his son to take the sin so that we might respond as sons and daughters by growing into his holiness. Brothers and sisters, are y'all in a storm? Or is a storm brewing? Is God trying to wake you up? Is this an intervention? I don't know. It may be, though. And he's waking us up to who we are being sons and daughters most likely you don't need any of those so soho doorways anymore um, you can rest in his arms that's who you are holy by grace let me pray our father help us we pray to lean into that truth so it goes against so much of how we think you are but I pray that we would leave here with a fresh sense of your mercy and grace as, as the book of Jonah pushes us towards. We are not the scapegoat. 
use Satan, your son, to be the scapegoat so that we might be the holy, blemishless lamb in the family that you have created. We ask for eyes to see, for ears to hear, and hearts to believe. And all God's people said, amen. Let's